Hello and welcome to Eavesdropping at the Movies. I'm Mike. And I'm Jose. And uh, we've just come back from the Mac where we've seen Neither Wolf Nor Dog, which is uh, an independently produced film about uh, American Indians or Native Americans. The word used in this film is Indian, Mm. generally. Um, The novel on which Mm. this is based is by a guy called Kent Nurburn. And Kent Nurburn uh, is a white man and he appears in the film. He's the main character. He's the main character. So he is... Problem number one. He is invited to a reservation. He's called at the start of the film by uh, this young girl. She's sort of a teenager, early 20s. And she says, you wrote this book, didn't you? Which was this collection of stories told by Indian children. Mm. Um, and he says, yeah. And she says, well, my granddad wants to speak to you. And her granddad is this 95-year-old guy called Dan. And he says no initially because there's not a lot of information about what they want, anything like that. But it sticks with him. And so very quickly he makes a decision, actually, I'll go. And what he finds there is that Dan wants to write a book of his own that shares his stories and thoughts. Um, And Kent goes away, sits in this motel that night and writes the most banal, you know, sort of trite sort of thing. And it's supposed to be in Dan's words and it's kind of, you know, we, we, we... we are friends with the land and we have our ancestors this that, and the other it's just the kind of shit that you always hear and they're not very happy with it um but instead of going home and so i mean he wants to go home but um he ends up sort of stuck there because his car breaks down and in being stuck in this place with dan this guy grover who's his friend who's another old guy not as old as 95 but um sort of middle-aged old um and then the kind of family and friends that they he starts to learn about. Um, he, he's well. He's a cipher for the audience, really, because he doesn't do an awful lot. <laughs> and I think his performance—the uh, performance is by a guy called Christopher Sweeney. I think the performance is really bad. The whole film is really bad. Well, I know you hated it. I hated it. It was like, you know, it was like somebody pulled my fingernails one by one. And then I fell asleep. It was so boring <laughs> on top of it. Yeah, I don't so know if it was glad. the pain. I was so glad that you fell asleep. Because it, because it meant that you would, it meant that while you were asleep, you couldn't go, Ugh, as you like to do. The film was awful. Um, so I think I really like the first 40 minutes or so, the first third, um, where it's just on the reservation and you're just kind of learning about Dan and learning about Grover and, and they're getting the measure of this white guy, and he's vaguely sort of getting the measure of them, but he's really out of place, and this kind of thing. I really liked it because it, it's not the work of a great filmmaker, this, at all. It's a terrible filmmaker. But it has a slowness that gave me time to think about everything that was going on, and that I really enjoyed at the start. But then I found it went into so many cliches and banalities that it just indulged... Like The thing is, it has this thing of of kind of berating this guy for indulging in these cliches and not thinking intelligently or originally enough or or listening to these people. But then the film kind of does the same thing. And I think what it is overall is that it's a, I think it's a really worthy film to be making and that has both positive and negative connotations. Yes. Um, and in the credits, it said that there was a num- number of executive producers who were given that title because they contributed on Kickstarter, mm. I saw. And when I saw the Kickstarter thing, it made the film make a lot of sense. Because I think this is the kind of film which is really worthwhile 
to make on Kickstarter. It's the kind of thing that you have to, I think. And I think it's so much better that you make kind of this kind of film through through Kickstarter than that Blue Ruin that we saw a few years ago, which I thought was awful. I can't even remember it. Yeah, it was um, that revenge movie. Um, so while it's not a very good film, I think it is a worthwhile one. Well, I think it's a. I'm, I don't think it's a worthwhile. I think it's a well-meaning film, which is not to say that it's worthwhile. I think it's a well-meaning film that nonetheless um, puts the ego of the filmmakers kind of right at the center. It's 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 politically very problematic. You know, there's a white person at the center who's in charge of how the story is told and how the story is communicated, and that is already a problem, right? So, and then on top of that, you have the lousiest filmmaking ever. There's no shot variations at all. You know, the camera's always on a wide angle or on a close-up. You know, nothing is dramatized. So you have like the sense of people telling you Mm. stuff and it's all telling you in these long shots and cliche after cliche after cliche, you know, and it was to me really painful to watch actually. The only thing that I liked about it and I think is very beautiful is the landscape that was shown and the way that it's filmed. You know, the cinematography of that particular landscape is very beautiful. You know, you do get like a love of the land and the place mm. and so on. But the rest I found really like like a white, well-meaning kind of liberal who didn't know, who doesn't know enough, doesn't leave the ego at the door, puts it front and center and actually does the opposite of what it's meant to do, which is kind of, you know, telling these other people's stories, you know, where actually he doesn't really have the right to. And the film has this mechanism where, of course, he's called on to do so, right? Which might be an excuse for the book, but it's not an excuse for the film. Hmm. Um, I think you're right about the filmmaker's ego, although I get more of that sense from his Wikipedia page, which, which appears to be written by himself. Well, I haven't read his Wikipedia I had a page. Yeah, the filmmaker uh, is... Um, uh, the the director of this is writer director I think. Um, give me a moment. I should specify that I knew nothing about the film. I haven't read anything about the film. No, no, you I. know. So I'm speaking purely from the experience of having watched it. And then to be fair, I found it all so dull and cliched ridden that after you know f- feeling like in real pain for the first half hour, forty five minutes, I I kept drifting in and out of sleep. Right, so I don't know. I don't know how much I saw, so therefore I should probably shut up. But you know, uh, uh. well, uh, so this the the director is a guy called Stephen Lewis Simpson, um, who's uh, Scottish, and um, the his Wikipedia page talks about various films that he's made, including uh, the feature documentary A Thunder Being Nation that was made over thirteen years about Pine Ridge Indian Reservation. So. Hmm. Hmm. Maybe that's something, but then it also mentions a TEDx talk that he gave in 2018, which is just not saying that she got on a Wikipedia page, you know. So it's like it's it's sort of fan written by himself. It also says that at a, at 18 he was the youngest fully qualified stockbroker and trader. Citation needed. So anyway, there is a sense of kind oh. of self importance through that. I think. Um, I don't think the film, in terms of the stories that the film tells, that is to say, the stories that Dan in particular tells um i think there are some qualities there and i think particularly when you get to um uh wounded knee at the end the story that he kind of the story that he tells and where the the way he opens up is kind of interesting i didn't but I, but it's 
it's ruined really by the Kent character kind of crying and breaking down at that point because none of that felt authentic. It was awful. It Um, it felt so inauthentic because I think you know if if the film has earned if the film has got him to the point where he's really been learning and 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 learning about his own sort of complicity and and lack of humility and this sort of thing like then then it would be earned but it hasn't really done that. It's only it's done the bare minimum through cliche. The exploitation of uh, indigenous peoples in North America is one of the great crimes against humanity. Mm. And the repercussions are continuing to this day. You know, I, I, from Canada, you're always hearing about kind of women who have disappeared from, you know, reservations, who went somewhere and never returned. And, you know, children that were abused in, yeah, the schools that they were forced to go to and so on. I mean, there's a million stories to tell, mm. right? And they really should be told and they need to be told. But this is not the way to tell them. No, I mean, I was really looking forward to this because, um, be, because I mean, how often do American Indians get uh, get to be the sort of, I was going to say the protagonist of their own story, they're not even in this, they're but how not. often do they get this much of a platform in popular cinema? Not at all. Well, yeah, but um, it's hardly popular cinema. Well, popular-ish, I mean, enough to, to have made it to the Mac, you know, I mean, it's... Yeah, it's, it's so it, bad. This is not a sort of online-only release, you know what I mean? It's, like it's no. made it to a cinema. And and so I was really looking forward to it for that reason, right? And I and I did find myself very let down. And I think the thing is that you're absolutely right about the fact it doesn't dramatise anything. There's that, there's one scene in the car when they're talking, when, when Dan's talking and the other two are listening and Grover's sort of listening on and agreeing and, um, and Kent's in the back just listening. And, and at one point Dan says something like, you know, can you see it in your mind or something like that? As if to say... Yeah, I wish I could. I wish you were showing it to exactly. me. Exactly. You know? uh-huh. And so I think the fact that it doesn't do that, it means that the fact that the film is showing you people telling stories as opposed to telling you them itself through the filmmaking is not necessarily such a bad thing. It means that the story then is about storytelling and about oral history and passing things down and the pain that people live with. You know, this guy's lived with this pain for 90, well, 89 years. It says, you know, at six years old he was beaten and he's carried these scars with him up till the age of 95. That is interesting, or at least it could be, but the film doesn't make that a thing that it's doing. No. It doesn't make storytelling and living with pain and that sort of thing enough of a thing that it's doing, enough of an original thing. It's a completely amateur work. I mean, it has no idea of of drama period like forget about forget about just you know film storytelling i mean just storytelling it's yeah. it has no notion it doesn't dramatize anything it kind of you know it creates these conflicts but that have no dramatic resonance they just seem like you know kind of pettiness really and then like kind of people tell their stories but like you say they just tell them and you know kind of they're interesting stories, and actually also they're archetypal stories, but, you know, the telling of them, it doesn't incur anything, for, at least for me. No, it, you it's know. to very little effect. Uh, so, I, I just, I just, I just hated it. And actually, there is like a, you know, so one of the things about activists getting involved with, uh, you know, like indigenous peoples and so on, is some of the things that they tell you Right, like you know, are you here to exploit? Yeah, or or are you going to make this about you rather than yeah? And so the film posits all of those dilemmas at the very beginning, and then the film does every single one of them. Mm. Right, you know, 
the story is about the white guy's change. And it's about the white guy crying, mm. right? It's like, ugh, ugh, ugh. Yeah. Um, and the film kind of brings up these um, these tropes that you kind of be very used to hearing. The thing is, everything... It felt banal to me. And, and of course, obviously it felt banal to you. And I think part of it is that I'm not someone with an extensive knowledge of Native American history, you know? I'm someone who is just on nodding terms with the basics. Mm. And... For someone who is on nodding terms with the basics to come out of a film that is set in and around the stories being told mm. by the experiences of um, Native Americans, to come out with no kind of no feeling of having really learned anything is a problem. Yeah. It's it's the most basic thing, and I think you know, to, like if someone knew absolutely nothing, it would be like a very basic grounding in the basic tropes, like. Don't trust white people. They every everything they tell you is a lie. That sort of thing. The the history of the Trail of Tears. Mm. You know they're kind of they're in there, but in the most basic rudimentary mm. form. I mean, the, but the problem is, it, I, at the start, I felt like the film was setting up kind of interesting things. So with um, the Kent character, the, the, the white guy, the writer, um, there is this thing about um, he he's he's kind of he has these symbols around him of um, doing good. Which I think come from his dad. I wasn't entirely clear, but I think his yes. like the thing is his dad was this guy who was completely selfless and did a lot of work for other people. That's the idea. There's this there's this um, rucksack. Yeah, there's this rucksack that says on it uh, "service over self." I think or "service before self." Mm. That belongs to his dad. There's this um, certificate in this box of, from the Red Cross mm. of kind of work done, and on the back of his truck, there's this Red Cross sticker. So Kent is surrounded by symbols of having done of of behaving selflessly and doing good things for other people, mm. um, and there's also this 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 book that he, uh, I mean that appears to be a book that he wrote. It's not to do with his dad. This book that he collected these stories of um, of these uh, Native American children, though you don't know what they are or anything like that. But mm. it's kind of enough of it gives him enough impetus for the for Dan to mm. want to speak to him. Um, but then you get to sort of actually discover he's not really a writer. He didn't write these stories. He just collected them. And and when Dan says, you know, I want you to take these little stories, these kind of epigraphs or whatever they are of mine, and turn them into a book, and he tries to, he can't do it. Mm. Um, so I, to me, it was, it was setting up something about a kind of pretended humility in him. You know, which I think kind of speaks to that kind of kind of Native American experience of white people probably kind of coming in and saying, you know, oh, can we can we have a bit of grain? Can we have some shelter? We'll keep our promises, and yes. then not doing so. You know, kind of seem to speak to that, and and so you get, and I think the the three uh, Native American characters that you first meet, which is Dan Grover and Dan's granddaughter, um, they 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 do have different responses to. Kent. So Dan has called him there, and Dan is kind of guardedly trusting. Grover is not really trusting at all, um, but is kind of on Dan's side. He wants Dan to get what he wants. Dan's mm. the elder, and he's respected and that sort of thing. And then Dan's granddaughter is really non-interested, is very suspicious of him, and quite hostile. And I think those kind of range of responses are interesting um, because they all they do all feel authentic to me. There's no through line. They're not things that are then kind of developed and made something of or changed or, no. you know, I mean, they're just cliches, really. Uh, and some of them were incomprehensible to me, 
right? You know, uh, you know, as as the protagonist rightly says, you know, you called me, I drove here a thousand miles here on my own dime. Like, where is this hostility com- coming from? You asked me to be here. Well, that's coming from the granddaughter who, yeah. who is only doing really. I mean, thing with her. She called him. Because her granddad wanted... I know, but you think he's doing a service now to her granddad. She should be at least be a little grateful. Well, I think you're probably right, but I can still understand her hostility, and, and basically she's, she's doing it because I her granddad it, wants I her to. I thought it wasn't explained well enough. I mean, you know, you could bring that hostility out in different ways, but there's no grounding, there's no context, there's no backstory. I'm not know. sure about that. I, I believed it of the granddaughter. There was a thing about, about him not having been the first writer who came there, first person who had been invited... You know, and obviously nothing had come of those previous ones. Maybe you were asleep when they said that line. I don't know. There was something about that, and um, and you know, there. Is, I and I, I did kind of. It seemed it seemed perfectly logical to me that she was as suspicious of him as he was. I think the idea that he might be there to take advantage of her. Well, uh, of I, him. I rather. suppose I should be asking you the questions, really, because you know, come forty-five minutes into the film. You know, I, I, I turned to you and I said, I hate this. Mm. And really, my um, thinking was, if you hated it too, we'd leave. <laughs> you know, that was kind of, you know. And you said, oh, I love it. Yeah. Right. So, you know, that put my my project to rest. So <laughs> You could have still left. So what, what, well, you know, what did you love about it? Well, really? that's what I've been describing. In that, in that opening third of the film, the, these these questions it was setting up of of exactly what's going on behind what are these people's motivations exactly or what's going to, how are they going to sort of interact and how is their relationships going to develop and that sort of thing was interesting to me then i think the film very quickly does nothing with them and it started to just it's about the time they start to go into town and they go to the museum, mm. and like the, the museum scene is kind of interesting, but it is full of cliches. You know, the, there's all these bones mm. kept in this cabinet, and and Grover, who's a very sarcastic, uh, sort of sort of acidic character, says to the museum owner, "I think that's my great grandmother." You know, something like that. And um, and you go like, "Yeah, I mean that is horrible, and it might be true, but <laughs> but it's banal, right? I, I've seen this before, mm. you know." Um, and so that's around the time I started thinking this isn't this isn't going anywhere, yes. and these these characters aren't going to develop in interesting ways. Right. Um, so that just means I coughed on before you did. Well, but I but I think <laughs> there were things to genuinely like about that oh, start. It's well. I think it's a it, it's a real disappointment that the film squanders everything that I you know I, I don't think it sets up amazing things, but it sets up enough interesting things that I was going with it, and it gave me a lot to think about early on that I was. You know, all the time that it's spent showing you landscapes and things. and I mean, it's a kind of film that will show you people driving the entire way down a road instead yeah. of just cutting to when it's interesting, you know. But to me, I found that time contemplative rather than boring. I Later on, it became boring. It was all filler. They didn't know what to do, basically. Mm. Um, so for me, it's a huge disappointment because actually there are very few films that deal with this subject matter. So, you know, one feels that this is what, what, I, what I say is worthy, but it's not worthwhile because it's, it's the kind of idea that you support. But, you know, then comes the execution and the, you know, what you're seeing and you go, oh my God, you know, kind of a squandered opportunity and, and one that's, you know, that is precious because there aren't too many of them around really. Mm-hmm. So I just kind of, um, yeah, I, 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 
yeah, I had a terrible time. And it was almost like, you know, I had such a terrible time that I was exhausted by my own kind of thinking about it and kind of collapsed, really, you know. So then I kept drifting in and out and in this catatonic state where you'd wish it would all end now. Mm. Um, yeah, uh, you look very peaceful, though, when you were sleeping. So. <laughs> I, I did like a sense of humour. It's got a nice sense of humour that I like, which, which primarily comes through Dan and Grover fucking with Kent. Yeah, Because he's out of place and... He, he's, he's not arrogant, but he's not humble enough. And then they will say something to, you know, sort of sort of confuse or... or, or, or say, like the thing when um, they go into, I think it might be Grover's mother's house, and she gives him soup, and he doesn't recognise what the things in the soup are. Mm. And Grover says, we used to have four dogs. Mm. And they look at him as if... And then he's like... And then they laugh at him, and he leaves. Mm. He's very, very sort of upset by that. And it's a lovely moment where they're just fucking with him because they can and because he doesn't and because he's and to exploit his his sort of lack of knowledge and discomfort and all that sort of thing um so you know i like that sense of humor i think it it has the occasional kind of really sharp line that that isn't necessarily sharp to kent but it is sharp in a kind of it just it just has a sort of um sort of wider sort of I don't know poetry to it or something like that. Like it's some things that Dan says are can be quite pointed, and just and and I mean I'm explaining that very badly, but there are some lines of dialogue that I just really like that kind of point that point at you know sort of injustices, mm. historical injustices, that sort of thing, kind of quite um, concisely. I mean I I'm, I wish I could remember one off the top of my head. I can't, but mm. there are moments like that. So it's not a film without its moments, but they're few and far between, and it, and it's a real shame. The whole thing is that the film starts off going, "Don't indulge in banalities," right? This whole thing of when he writes at the start this crap about being one with the land and our ancestors and the blah blah blah, they very rightly say this is crap, right? When if you were to write about a dog, they mm. say you would write about him pissing and shitting and farting and all the all the rest. So you know if you're going to write about us, that's what you should write about. We're not show dogs. Mm. That's, you know that's what they say. Which I think is interesting, right? Because especially with Grover, you get the sense he's a man with resentment and hate. It's not just it's not just kind of pain and oh, I wish things were different. Mm. It's it's pain and anger towards the people that destroyed his people, right? Mm. And so you go, yes, right. This film might might be really sharp on this, and then it just doesn't. It kind of it gives it gives Dan and Grover things to say, but they're all tempered and too bland. I found the whole thing patronizing. Yeah. Uh, and and banal. Yeah. I mean, it is. So mm. there's very little positive you can say about it unfortunately, which is a shame because it is such a missed opportunity because I think it's exactly the sort of film I wanted to see, you know, the idea of it. I was so looking forward to it. Um well I didn't know anything about it, so I just went because you booked the tickets. Um all I knew it was it was about Native Americans, that's it. Right. You know. Um and that they were front and centre as opposed to you know side characters or whatever yeah I mean do you remember when we saw uh, was it uh, Cold Pursuit the Liam uh, Neeson film and there was yes. a there was a, a subset of Native American characters kind of gangsters and there's that scene where they went into the shop mm. and saw their kind of culture and, and artefacts yes. and things that are significant to them having been commodified and made in Taiwan and all the rest yes you know that's like a minute of just of quite concise commentary Yes. That worked quite well. Yes. And and that was that was kind of banal too, 
it didn't say anything that original, but it it was, you know, I mean, made it, it was a good minute of that film. <laughs> yes. <You know? laughs> and, like, and, and everything that everything that did in a minute, this film kind of takes two hours to do. Yeah, it was very bad. Yeah. So we better leave it here because. Yeah. You can only say that for so often. Yeah, I know, I know. So, um, yeah. Wish it, uh, wish regretfully. It, uh, wish it was better. Yes, wish it was better, but it's not. So, um, thank you very much for listening. We are eavesdropping at the movies, and we are on. Um, iTunes, SoundCloud, and YouTube uh, to listen to. On social media, we're on Facebook and Twitter, at Eavesdrop Movies, and the website is eavesdroppingatthemovies.com. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Sorry. It made made me think of of, uh, Roma as well a little bit in the telling of an indigenous story. Um, Roma did it much more effectively than this. um, You know, I just felt kind of... Uh, that had little. Uh, I had little to contribute, really, except my feelings, you know, because you can't analyze because you know I slept through, like, <laughs> you know, and actually I didn't. I I kept drifting in and out of consciousness, but all with that feeling of I just want this to end. I just want this to end. You know, I just want this to end. So you know, it doesn't kind of facilitate. Do you want to Do you want to know more about um, this self obsession of? Uh the director who mm. who I don't have any evidence for this but he definitely wrote his own Wikipedia page because I think, <laughs> so I think he also because I think he also wrote the Wikipedia page for the film because again that talks about you know it's it says Simpson released it himself directly into US cinemas in 2017 and it is still in first run cinemas in 2019 which makes it the longest first run theatrical release in the US in over a decade again it mentions his TEDx talk <sighs> The film stars Chief... Oh, this is it. So the film stars Chief Dave Bald Eagle in the lead role Mm. as Dan, the Lakota elder. He was 95 years old at the time of filming and it was his first starring role in a film. And uh, then it goes on to say... The film is notable for a climactic scene shot at Wounded Knee where the script and the novel was thrown away and Dave Bald Eagle improvised the whole scene from his heart as his family had a closer connection to the Wounded Knee Massacre of 1890 than even the character he was playing. At the end of filming the scene, he turned to Christopher Sweeney, who was acting opposite him, and said, I've been holding that in for 95 years. Dave Bald Eagle saw the film before he passed away, and he said, it's the only film I've been in about my people that told the truth. And that's, you know, straight from the director's mouth, I guarantee it. I bet you. Uh... Yeah. It's nice, I mean, at least, at least to, to hear, you know, I mean, that was the best bit of the film, probably. And well, to see it... that it was coming straight from him rather than a script is, is, makes sense. Hmm. Anyway, it's got 90, 90% on Rotten Tomatoes from 10 critics, so 9 out of 10 liked it. 9 out of 10 are wrong. <laughs> I wonder who the one that didn't like. I wonder what the one he didn't like. I wonder what they said. <laughs> uh, oh, there's 16 critics now. The Wikipedia's not been updated. Stephen, you better get on that. Um, Yolanda Mercado from The Rap says there's far too many moments where the script demands that Kent remind everyone not all white men that any appearance of care or understanding is quickly wiped away yeah that's kind of interesting the thing about sort of I wasn't responsible for this but, and then he and then he uh, 
and then he eventually comes around and goes, I wasn't responsible for this, but I feel like I am now. And he's like, well, that's a bit of a half hour. It's all like, you know, white liberal guilt, really. I think the film is much more about that than anything else, which is part of the problem. Here you go. Here's, here's a, a, a two-sentence excerpt that sums up what we've said. This is from Ken Elsner in The Georgia Strait. A highly necessary tale is told in Neither Wolf Nor Dog. You simply have to look past amateurish direction, bad writing, and even worse acting to find it. Voila! Good work. Uh, uh, All right. Cheerio. Bye-bye. Okay.